evening. We'll start with a motivation. Now we are going to continue to review Venom's teachings on the practice on the advanced level practitioners. Somebody who is aiming for full awakening for the benefit of all beings. So the first part of that section is how to generate that motivation that wants to attain full awakening for the benefit of all sentient beings. And in order to be able to generate bodhicitta, I'm sure to emphasize that we have to think, we have to investigate, to ponder and look at our own experience so we can transform the mind in that direction. As we have many negative imprints and self-centeredness caring just for our own benefit. And this self-centeredness is not just caring in a worldly sense, but a self-centeredness that just aims for personal liberation. So bodhicitta is the wish to liberate all sentient beings without exception from cyclic existence. And to be able to accomplish it, we aim to attain Buddhahood as fast as possible. And so the keywords here are all sentient beings without exception. What is your first reaction hearing that? All sentient beings without exception. Do you start doubting yourself or the possibility of such goal in regard to these countless limitless sentient beings? Or do you react with excitement, with joy, amazement that such aspirations are possible, that they can be developed to start with? So if you tend to react with some fear, some rejection, try to let go of them. For now we just review, learn about such aspirations. And if you actually can, I will practice them. Later you will see things change. Our understanding, our practice will change. So rather allow yourself right now to just imagine how it would be like to have an unlimited awareness that turns towards each and every living being with immeasurable kindness. How would that feel like? How would that be like to think without any judgment, without discrimination of others? but solely to have the aspiration to support each and every being wherever, whenever possible. So whenever we feel discouraged or overwhelmed in regard to the possibility of bodhicitta, it is good to come back to these questions that stimulate our excitement, our joy, amazement of the teaching. And it is crucial whenever we feel discouraged to go back to the beginning of our practice. We start again. It doesn't matter how often we have to start from the beginning. It's a normal process. So let's go through this review with an open mind, starting from the beginning, reviewing the benefits and causes of bodhicitta. And let's do that with the aspiration to be inspired to deepen our understanding and practice of bodhicitta. We'll just learn so later on we can become, we can come back to it when our motivation fades.
now if you want to follow in the uh, original document, it's uh, section 4b, 2b, 3.2, how to develop that aspiration. <laughs> so um, uh, in October, Venerable started with the teachings on uh, the benefits and the causes of bodhicitta, and then it followed going through uh, the method path. Um, she was teaching on the seven point instructions and equalizing, exchanging self and others. So um, before she really went into the method side, she really um, spent quite a time, bit of time, um, with the benefits of bodhicitta, as well as the disadvantages of not um, practicing, developing it. So when we see the benefits of bodhicitta, um, then we go towards it. Um, when we don't see it, then we don't care. We will not be eager to engage in this practice. And Venomal Shutan said that the best place uh, to understand bodhicitta uh, is the first chapter of Shantideva, Bodhicharya Vataya. And um, in 36 verses, he, he is devoted um, only towards bodhicitta. But also the Sulinas Dalai Lama advises to read and contemplate, meditate upon the um, eight and sixth chapter on patience and concentration in order to develop bodhicitta. And also chapter nine, that is on emptiness to eliminate all obscurations from our minds so that they can never return. And if you read Kunu Lama Rinpoche's uh, Fast as the Ocean, Deep as the Sea, this book is all about the benefits of bodhicitta. And His Holiness the Dalai Lama advised too here um, to read at least one verse a day and contemplate upon it. So, first of all, for those who are not familiar, familiar with this topic, what is bodhicitta? The word bodhicitta has two parts, so body and chitta. Body means enlightened and chitta means mind. And this mind is referring to the primary mind uh, that focuses on body. And body here means enlightened, that implies purification and realization. And Tibetan is translated into Jangshup. So Jang means purification and Jup means getting to that state. So Jang indicates the purification of both afflictive obscuration and cognitive obscuration, and Jup is the Buddha's realization of emptiness. So I said Bodhicitta is the essence of the path um, of the advanced practitioners and it's brings tremendous benefit for this and future lives. So, and those who have gained firm and stable bodhicitta and that the path of accumulation are called bodhisattvas. And their attitude is such that whenever they see any sentient being, their spontaneous thought is, I want to attain enlightenment in order to lead this person out of suffering and lead them uh, to full enlightenment. And this attitude is called conventional bodhicitta. So at present, although we admire the bodhisattva path and even generate or um, conventional bodhicitta in our mind, we are not yet actual bodhisattvas. So I have um, put up this uh, chart that um, I thought just to give an orientation for those of us who are not um, so firm yet with the map how to attain Buddhahood from the Mayana perspective. So, as you can see in the very beginning, we might be um, um, before the path of accumulation somewhere, training in um, the practices of equalizing self and others, training in karma body, training in the seven point instruction, or other practices. And um, uh, on the path of realization, uh, here the Bodhisattva that's uh, number one hmm? of accumulation. Sorry. And the Bodhisattva um, does collect the condition to gain the union of karma binding and insight of realization, realizing emptiness, but it has not yet attained. So also the Bodhisattva accumulates merit um, by engaging in the method path uh, with a bodhicitta motivation. And he, she accumulates wisdom through meditating upon emptiness. So, and as their meditation on emptiness increases, deepens, 
they gain the union of insight and serenity, or venerable calm abiding on emptiness. And this marks the beginning of the path of preparation, the second path, number two, there. So um, uh, here, the understanding of emptiness becomes more experiential uh, because it's derived from inside. And the realization of emptiness is still conceptual, it's not direct. Um, for, because they receive, um, perceive it through a conceptual appearance. So in another context, as Holiness was saying, um, on the path of preparation, bodhisattvas familiarize themselves with emptiness and further cultivate the method side of the path through altruistic activities within the path of preparation are four stages that are <laughs> heat, peak, forbearance, supreme dharma. Yes. And in these four stages, practitioners' realization of emptiness continues to deepen, and their awareness of emptiness becomes subtler and clearer. And their conceptual appearance of emptiness begins to dissolve, and the bodhisattvas enter the path of seeing. So now they are becoming ayas or noble beings. And here, the emptiness and uh, their insight into emptiness becomes direct and non-conceptional. Conceptual. <laughs> conceptual. <laughs> so the bodhisattvas um, have now the ability to control their future rebirth with entering the first count that is indicated there too. It's also now when the ten bodhisattva crown starts up to the path of meditation, that's uh, number four, and the ten crowns are the ultimate bodhicitta. Everything was before the start, uh, uh, path four, the path of meditation. It's, um, you call it contrived bodhicitta, conventional bodhicitta. So, and it's said that the ten crowns are ultimate bodhicitta, that is, they are all the wisdom directly realizing the emptiness of true existence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, can you please explain that? Contrived bodhicitta is what we would have before we actually made Yes, right. Yeah, I just had right. to look up. Yeah, okay. yeah, so yeah. It's just, it's just a yeah conventional bodhicitta yeah. um, is not contrived bodhicitta. Contrived bodhicitta is what we have before entering the path of accumulation. Yeah. So, um, first of all, bodhisattvas. Um, the bodhisattva is somebody who has realized spontaneous bodhicitta and who's aspiring for full awakening, and this person cherishes others more than oneself. So there are two kinds of bodhicittas, and again, what are they? Conventional and ultimate bodhicitta. So conventional bodhicitta is the altruistic intention to attain enlightenment, and ultimate bodhicitta is the wisdom directly realizing emptiness conjoined with the altruistic intention. So now we go directly into the benefits and causes for bodhicitta. Let's go on the benefits first. And Venerable quoted quite a number of verses, and I will repeat some of them here as well. So one first from Shantrakumin, uh, he was a lay person in Nalanda Monastery um, who wrote a manual about the Bodhisattva precepts. The sun's great rays shine everywhere, traveling like a horse, drawn chariot. The crown supports the world without calculating the burden, such as the nature of persons of great capacity, advanced level practitioners, who lack any self-interest. They are consumed with whatever brings happiness and benefit to the world. So, Venerable Schultrin is commenting on that, that um, the sun shining everywhere, but it doesn't have any exhaustion from doing that. And similarly, the ground supports the world without calculating the burden. So um, we stumble on it, uh, we walk on it, we dig, we do everything, and the crown does not complain, neither the sun. <laughs> and in the same way, the bodhisattvas are not concerned at all with their own welfare, except 
from the point of view how to actualize their own spiritual aims in order to be of greatest benefit to sentient beings so they are consumed with whatever brings happiness and benefit to the world. That's what occupies their mind. And here, I, I like to share one story and maybe another one later from um, Kyasa Tokma, or later also called Tokma Sangmo, uh, the great Ananda, the second Ananda. He was a bodhisattva in the 13th century. And um, when he was, I think, about 20 or something like that, he um, and the monks from his monastery went to another monastery, um, maybe for a retreat, it wasn't mentioned in the story that I read. And, um, but it was far away. And while leaving with his luggage, um, the monastery at the door gate, he saw a crippled woman. This woman was um, crying. And he asked this woman, what's going on? Why are you crying? And she said, oh, the monks are leaving, so nobody is giving me alms. And he said, don't worry, I will take care of you. So he took his stuff first and went to the monastery. And then after having a short break, um, he went immediately back. What's well, a long way to go. Um, his monk's friend didn't believe that he really will go there after asking him. And he said, I will get that crippled woman. <laughs> Um, but he made it, and he uh, arrived there, and he saw these two, um, and the woman, and but also her staff, and he realized he can't carry both the woman and her staff. So he started with the staff and carried it back to the monastery, and then back to the woman and carried the woman back to the monastery. So a long journey. The monks have been very astonished by his great deed. So his mind was totally occupied by um, helping somebody else. Yeah. So bodhicitta is the source of all happiness. Why? It's <laughs> 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 good. Maybe I understand something. <laughs> Okay, I will um, um, share what Manawa Shutran um, commented at this point. So she reminded us that Buddhas come from Bodhisattvas, and Bodhisattvas are the ones who have Bodhicitta. So without Bodhicitta, we can't be, uh, become Buddhas, and without becoming Buddhas, we can't work for the welfare of all living beings. So Tsongkhapa is saying that bodhicitta is a medicine that elevates all troubles. So how does bodhicitta elevate um, all trouble, troubles? It helps, us, it helps us to eliminate all the causes for all of our suffering, all of our problems. So it's like the ultimate So Banarbo is commenting, it leads us to full awakening while we have eliminated all dukkha, all unsatisfactory conditions and their causes of ourself, and we are in the process of helping others do the same, but also just generating bodhicitta in day-to-day -day life brings us tremendous amount of happiness. So what else helps us to elevate some of our pains? <laughs> yes, <laughs> ultimately. <laughs> Realizing emptiness. Yeah, that's very true. But just going back to compassion, that's helpful already too. <laughs> okay, do you want to give a personal example of that? Of um, how compassion can help to elevate suffering? Just to review maybe next, last week's view. <laughs> Sorry about his holiness, I think teaching Buddha, yeah. 
you're wonderful. Thank you for reminding us about that story. So then she goes on, who sees, hears and remembers or in any way comes in contact with bodhicitta, it nourishes them. So even somebody only once in their life hears a little bit about bodhicitta, it's incredible. Um, if you consider how many beings there are on this planet and how many even have heard one paragraph, hardly anybody, she says. So when we think about our own families, and sometimes not even our Buddhist friends, um, some of them have never heard about bodhicitta. So now we have maybe about 7.5 billion people on this planet. And 6% of them are Buddhist. Yeah. So when I continues, if you want to accomplish your own spiritual aims and attain the truth body and its emptiness and true cessation, then you got to take care of others, which means you have to attain a form body so you can manifest in different ways to be of greatest benefit to others. So bodhicitta is the motivation for doing all of that. It gets us in motion. Okay, so far um, benefits have been bodhicitta is the source of all happiness. Medicine is a medicine to elevate all troubles. Bodhicitta nourishes us in order to accomplish spiritual aims. More benefits of bodhicittas are bodhicitta are uh, it's um, yeah, a prerequisite, um, the way into Mahayana vehicle and the Tantric vehicle. And maybe something else from your side you can remember. Helps us to purify a large amount of negativity. Helps us to purify a large amount of negativity. It's the motivation for all of our practices. It's the motivation for all of our practices. Helps us to create a huge amount of merit. Helps us to create a huge amount of merit. When I say us, I mean those that have it. <laughs> <laughs> For those that have it. <laughs> without it, you can't be a Buddha. Yes, without it, you can't be a fully awakened Buddha. So bodhicitta is a real key. Okay, Lama Supa, when he speaks about bodhicitta, he says, um, it's having the altruistic intention towards every single sentient being. If we leave any sentient being out, we can't have bodhicitta. So we should be grateful to other sentient beings for acting it as basis with which we generate bodhicitta. And that allows us to progress to full awakening. So when Arushitan commented here that he was saying um, we should look at every bug, every little creature, this is the cause of our bodhicitta. It's so important to generate love, compassion, and altruism for that bug. Because if we leave that bug out, we ourselves can't attain full awakening. Another story about um, Thakma Sangmo. When he was a bit older, maybe in his 30s, I can't clearly remember, he uh, went into retreat. Oh, it must. He was longer in retreat when he was 42 to 65, so 23 years. And uh, in front of his little house, there was a beggar, and he um, instantly had great compassion for that beggar. He gave him food and um, some clothing, and. Tokmasanga was generally an incredible generous. He gave everything he had. He didn't keep anything for himself. So it's said that he had no attachment, no anger at all. Um, the next day, uh, he looked for the beggar again to give him further uh, food and such, but the beggar was gone. So he looked in the area around and he found the beggar and asked him, why did you leave? And he said, yeah, people came by and they shouted at me and um, scolded me and um, stepped on me and said, I'm so ugly. And so um, Tokmasangma again, he cried and he took the beggar with him home. 
And, and there he gave him food. He gave his new robes to the beggar and took his old rags. And the rags have been filled with lices. So um, Tokmasanga took on the lices and they started to eat on his body and make him very, very sick, up to the point that he wasn't able to teach anymore. And his students and friends came and really begged him to take off the lices so that um, he can continue teaching. And some of them even who didn't understand what he really was <laughs> and said, um, you can't practice these practices if you haven't accomplished <laughs> uh, a stage. Uh, create compassion, I guess. And then he uh, continued um, keeping the lices on his body and did great prayers and meditations. And he got really, really sick. But after 17 days, um, the lysis died by itself. And he took the lysis off his body and uh, made uh, tremendous prayers, um, Tara mantras and man medicine Buddha mantras. And he put the lysis into small satsas. So he did some satsas. And um, he said, when his students actually um, came and wanted um, him to stop that, he said, um, since time without beginning, I have had so many human lives, but they have all been in vain. Now, even if I were to die today, I will at least have done something meaningful. I will not get rid of the lies. So, yeah, as I said, he kept going and the lies is dead, uh, died by themselves. So he was a great bodhisattva. But we, um, you know, Regarding um, Lama Supa's teaching on that we have to look at Avibhag um, in that way and um, see them as the cause of our bodhicitta, or they are the cause for our bodhicitta, see them with loving kindness, with compassion, altruism. And maybe for some of us, um, bugs are not a great deal, small animals are not a great deal. I was thinking about maybe in the context of community or even family members we have difficulties with. And sometimes we have challenges um, living in communities. And Mama Shuni spoke a little bit about um, why community life makes you crazy. So <laughs> um, I think um, that we each other can give us a great chance to, co chance to cultivate bodhicitta, the altruistic uh, intention to benefit all sentient beings. Um, if you really think about it, each community member can be the cause for our bodhicitta. So full awakening because um, without bodhicitta, no full awakening possible. And uh, the emptiness teachings alone will not lead us to that goal. It needs wisdom and compassion like a bird needs two wings in order to fly. For example, somebody points out your fault and what is your immediate reaction? And point out, points out your fault. Somebody is pointing out that you left your dirty dishes in the sink in the Ananda building. Yeah. And um, your immediate reaction is, no, I did not do that. Um, um, I mean, we all have experiences to some extent with that. Um, somebody tells us something, even if it's true, we get easily defensive and angry. So now imagine um, we immediately realize our craving to our me mine and stop and say, thank you for pointing that out to me. <laughs> You're right, I was lazy washing my dishes. I'm sorry for that, I will do it right away. <laughs> or if we 
and get pointed out for something we didn't do, um, then we just stay calm and connected with the other person and um, without any strong feeling, but with love, compassion and the wish to benefit him or her. Then without any negative feeling, with defensiveness or something like that, we just accept karma happening here, cause and effect. Maybe it's also the right moment to just explain calmly um, without negativity um, that it's just not done by us and maybe through a compassionate manner um, we both step in and do the dishes ourselves without even thinking about it you know just doing it out of yeah the wish to help another person so continuing with venerable's quotes um just as Tsongkhapa says it's not sufficient that the teaching is a mayana teaching but the person must be a Mahayana practitioner. Why do you think this is so? Yes, Tsongkhapa says, it is not sufficient that the teaching is a Mahayana teaching, but the person must be a Mahayana practitioner. The teacher. Or the practitioner, yeah. very difficult to be inspired when you, um, or to teach it um, when you haven't realized it yourself and others are not inspired. Um, I think she said practicing it. Okay. Realizing it is a little bit... Um, <laughs> Good, okay. Yeah. Can you say it into the microphone, please? Yes. I just wanted to catch that the Venerable Sunday said practicing. teachings go in differently if you have bodhicitta. So that's what Venom was saying, because we can listen to a Mahayana teaching a lot, but how the teaching go into a person who is a Mahayana practitioner, who has genuine, spontaneous bodhicitta, how the teaching goes into that mind of that person, and how into the mind of the rest of us is a big difference. Yeah. So bodhicitta um, uh, is also compared with a seed. Um, the seed is a specific cause, cause among the general causes of the sprout of Buddhahood. So bodhicitta is a seed, the effect is the sprout of Buddhahood, and bodhicitta is a specific cause among all the general causes that um, gonna lead somebody to become a Buddha. So the wisdom that knows emptiness is a general cause of awakening. Why is that so? Because the ahas, ahas also realize it. Right. Here are solitary realizers. Everybody needs to realize emptiness. So it's a um, general cause, cause for the awakening of all three vehicles, but bodhicitta is a specific cause. So in the context of an analogy of a garden, when you are growing a garden, the seed, so venerable, the seed is the principal cause and the water and fertilizer and good weather are the cooperative, cooperative conditions, just as bodhicitta is like the seed of awakening. The realization of emptiness is a cooperative condition for full awakening in the sense that if you don't have bodhicitta, you may attain the hearer and solitary realizer awakening, but not the bodhisattva awakening. Continuous, when we act body, motivated by bodhicitta, we collect stupendous merit because it's motivated by the intention to benefit all living beings. And when we do something like that, um, 
that is virtuous, if you have the thought, I'm going to benefit from that, then it's benefiting one person. But if you do a, the same action with bodhicitta, even if it's fabricated, she says, um, it's still stupendous because we are doing this for the benefit of sentient beings. So, for example, when Amashutan says, um, even to give a spoonful of food to a little cat, yeah, to Sunam, Mudita, Upeka, <laughs> Maitri, um, can be considered a bodhisattva deed. So every time you give a tiny food um, to a cat, it becomes the cause for full awakening. Uh, if you have bodhicitta, but if you lack bodhicitta, then even offering a universe of three billion world systems, so a whole lot, filled with jewels, <laughs> will not be considered a bodhisattva deed. But if you practice bodhicitta, you are easily able to clear away obscurations and accumulate collection of merit and sublime wisdom. And Shantideva is saying, the force of negativity is great and extremely intense. Besides bodhicitta, what virtues can overcome it? So Venerable Shutana is saying, people are creating a lot of negative karma. Um, when it says the force of negativity is great and extremely intense, that is not an exaggeration. So what's really benefiting all sentient beings is wanting to help them, not only so they can have food, clothing, medicine, shelter, education, and friendships, but helping them so they can eliminate the cause of all poverty, poverty and suffering from their mind. So they can eliminate the afflictions, eliminate um, the cognitive obscurations, all the negativities. That's the real way to benefit sentient beings. And Shantideva continues, like the fire at the end of the eon, it will instantly consume, crave negativities. So even if we have done really awful things, she says, in the past, and we feel tremendous remorse having done this action with generation of bodhicitta, we can overcome the negativity. Why? Why? Because it's for the benefit, geared towards the benefit of all sentient beings. So even if even those uh, who think, I clear away just the habits of living beings, have such a beneficial intention that they receive immeasurable merit, then what is there to say if one inspires to clear away the immeasurable unhappiness of each being and to end each with an immeasurable good qualities, or with uh, immeasurable good qualities. So and then there comes the big question. How do you generate bodhicitta, great compassion for somebody like Hitler, Stalin, and so on? Lama Yeshe said, that's what Vanama Shudran commented, he always was saying, they means were dear. <laughs> um, and in their mind, they thought that they are doing well, uh, that what they are doing will bring them happiness. That's showing how sorely confused um, they were when they thought um, their murderous behavior or their um, behavior will bring them happiness. So, and I think that's um, very helpful to bring that into our own life experience. You know, when we um, her things um, people are doing, people we are connected with. Not just, you know, the big things, um, like what's happening in Syria, when we think of all the people um, there who are in the middle of the war, you know, between Assad's regime and the rebels and all the m multiple religious groups that are fighting with each other. Uh, 400,000 people got killed, so, and half of the population is now in um, in a state of uh, refuge. So, and many are still in, a, in, yeah, in the between the conflict, you know. Um, I mean, that will definitely um, uh, bring us to some understanding. But if we um, bring it really to our personal life experience, I think that has a very big effect and doesn't have to be something so big. Um, I want to share, um, just to give an example, something where I had a reaction. I saw in a German newspaper um, something happened um, just in the neighborhood where I lived, in Kreuzberg, in Berlin. 
and um, uh, there was a young woman, she was uh, 23 years old and maybe just coming from, from college and going home and she entered the subway and or she came from the subway, I'm not clear about it and um, so she was going to get down the stairs and had about 30 to 40 steps in front of her and then a group of people, four guys, came after her and um, having a beer in one hand and a cigarette in the other hand and one guy, she just started to go down the stairs, step with her, his foot directly into her back, so she fall all the 40, 30, 40 stairs directly down. And um, so she survived that. Um, the guys went away, she broke her arm and um, had many bruises and a big shock. She hasn't been pregnant, um, good luck, so that would be the case, um, yeah, can imagine. And I was, you know, in the first moment very angry towards that person. I found it so cruel. Um, how can somebody just step in a young woman's back and let her fall like, fall, fall like that? And without any reason, there was no reason visible. And um, it could have been anybody of us, yeah, just peacefully going to the subway or coming from the subway. So I'm then to think, um, uh, like, you know, nobody is completely evil. Um, they love their family um, or their peers, you know, and everybody has some kindness in them. And this is really challenging, but um, uh, still those people change and um, everybody has uh, multiple sides in them. So we know that from inmates, you know, I do fight with inmates and when Chikma and when Zeppel and Shuni and so Sankir and children. <laughs> so we all have um, seen, heard about those inmates who change totally around. Um, I'd like to stop here for a short moment and lead us to a motivation um, His Holiness the Dalai Lama gave in 2011 at um, Long Beach at the Yamantaka Empowerment. I found that motivation incredibly powerful. We went through it here once with Venom of Shudran. Um, it, yeah, it helps us to get some more clarity about bodhicitta and um, yeah, how we can apply that in everyday life. Just listen. Close your eyes if you like. So he's saying, when we speak about the benefits of altruism bodhicitta, even on a conventional level, we can see the tremendous benefit this sense of cherishing others and caring for others brings. For example, in our own immediate day-to-day -day life, when you have cultivated that kind of cherishing others, the altruistic intention, there will be an immediate lessening of a sense of fear, insecurity, and suspicion. So we can see that altruism, cherishing others, concern with others really has an immediate effect in creating a sense of ease and joy within oneself. One can be mentally more joyful, one will, be ha will have sounder sleep and one could even say that one's enjoyment of food improves. You can enjoy the taste more, and this is really true. So in a sense, as a byproduct of engaging in altruistic action and cultivating an altruistic attitude, your own interests are being served. Whether it is temporary interest of gaining greater happiness or the long-term interest of gaining full awakening, it is all the function and result of altruism eventually you will also be able to bring about the welfare of other sentient beings as well. He continues, Without bodhicitta, the wisdom realizing emptiness cannot become a cause for the attainment of full Buddhahood. So we can see the role of altruism and bodhicitta is very crucial. Therefore, first reflect upon the benefits of the altruistic mind which is a source of benefit, both short-term in present life as well as ultimate terms. 
to actualize our spiritual goals. And what is contrary to that is an attitude rooted in self-centeredness and excessive preoccupation, which is really the source of all problems. Up to now, throughout our successive life times, we have lived our lives in ways in which we are imprisoned by this excessive preoccupation. So what you need to know is to reflect on the benefits of reversing this end, this and cultivating a mind cherishing the welfare of all other sentient beings. And here also aim to seek to bring about the highest welfare of other sentient beings, which is the attainment of Buddhahood by all beings. And towards that end, generate the aspiration that seeks the attainment of Buddhahood for the benefit of all sentient beings. Here at this point, um, before we continued with going into the causes of bodhicitta, Venerable encouraged us to do the meditation or to think about the kindness of others again and again and again. Thinking about their suffering, there's more than me. Big me, I, me, mine. She says, if we practice loving kindness, bodhicitta, fear, insecurity, suspicion will not arise anymore. Okay, let's continue with the causes of bodhicitta. So the teaching she gave on September 30. And maybe you can remember some of the causes of bodhicitta. I have a whole list here of 11. And um, yeah, maybe you can put them together. Out of our mind. <laughs> you have to accumulate merit and purify. You have to accumulate merit and purify, right? Great compassion as a cause for bodhicitta. Yeah. We have to recognize our own suffering and want to be free of samsara before we can really extrapolate that out to others. Can you use the mic, please? We have to recognize our own suffering and want to be free of samsara before we can really wish that for others. Yes. We need inspiration of a teacher, yeah. We have to get the fundamental basis on, you know, to read and to study and to listen, to get it in our minds, some kind of familiarity. Right, we need some familiarity, so reading, studying, to get it in our mind. We need equanimity, right? Living near practitioners. We uh, um, need to live near practitioners. Mm -hmm. And we need to remember the qualities of the Buddha. We need love. <laughs> we need to value the Mahayana teachings. Right? We need to meet the Mahayana teachings. <laughs> It's good to think others' happiness depends on me alone. Mm -hmm. Okay, got it pretty well. <laughs> I think emptiness is in there somewhere. Yes, I wanted to go into that. For us to be able to deal with looking at the suffering of other sentient beings, yes. we've got to look at those, you know, how it's, that, that they don't exist as they appear, that the suffering is also empty of any inherent existence to kind of build up our courage to be able to. Yeah, we need to understand emptiness. Okay, there are some more. Let me go briefly into them. So the first cause, um, what we need is to accumulate merit and to purify. You got it right. So why do we need that? Because we're grossly obscured. <laughs> because we are grossly obsessed. obscured and self-obsessed. <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> and to be able to generate bodhicitta, our mind's got to be flexible and soft and workable and pliant and, you know, moist and juicy. It's yeah. Be, yeah. Yeah, maybe the moist and juicy <laughs> <laughs> Flexible, not tight. You know, yes. all these good qualities for mind. Yes. Yeah, when I was saying we have to accumulate merit because merit is like the fertilizer that enriches our mind, that makes our mind flexible and receptive to hearing teachings. If we don't have merit, then our mind is like a dry desert. Nothing really moves us. So what are the antidotes, some of the antidotes, um, if we don't have a flexible mind, if we lost interest in the teachings and practices of bodhicitta? We make purification practice. Any purification practice. Any, yeah. And um, also uh, offering practices like mandala offering, any kind of offering practice. Yes, right. And also, she reminds us to stop studying all the intellectual stuff for all the time. Stop, of being. Start. Stop, stop studying all the intellectual stuff and go back to the beginning. <laughs> do prostrations, do the seven limb prayer. <laughs> yeah. Another cause for bodhicitta is our spiritual teachers. Uh, are our spiritual teachers. Why is that so? Because they embody bodhicitta. Because they teach it, right? They live it. They show us, teach us how to do that. So another cause for bodhicitta is living near practitioners of bodhicitta. How can you explain that? How does it work? Osmosis. Osmosis. Wishful thinking. Aspiration. Inspiration, right? Encouragement. Encouragement. Support. Support. Good examples. Good examples, exactly. And then we need to uh, read, study, practice the texts that teach bodhicitta. So without having heard about bodhicitta, we can't develop it. Another cause is to remember, remember the qualities of the Buddha. How can that be understood? Well, we could, um, you have to hold it like this. So we could... Um, recall the lists of all the qualities of the Buddha, but also we could, um, in, in our practice, when we're doing our uh, chants and pujas, that kind of thing, our visualizations, mm -hmm. to bring you know, the Buddhas into our minds and feel like we're in the presence of holy beings and um, make a heart connection to them. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So we gain more understanding of teachings, the chantings and meditations we do. The next cause is to really value the Mahayana teaching and wanting them to exist forever. And I would like to read what Venerable Shutran was commenting here. You value the Mahayana teachings for your own personal practice and then, of course, you want everybody to have access to them. And you want to have access to them not only in this life but in all your future lives because there's no um, shuti that in future lives we will be born human, or even if we are born human, that, will, uh, that we will meet the Mayana teachings. Or maybe we will have the karma to meet the Mayana teachings, but they will have died out because people haven't practiced them properly. And the transmitted and the realized um, uh, realizational Dharma, maybe um, they have died out and we have no access to them. So if you really think about that and you want the Mayana teachings to exist forever, then you feel, well, I can't just leave it to everybody else to make them exist forever. I have to contribute to this and do my best. So how do I do my best? I learn the transmitted teachings. I think about them, I meditate on them, and try and gain the realized teachings, the realized Dharma. Another cause for bodhicitta is, um, is to think, if I generate bodhicitta, then I will be able to inspire others to do that too. 
So when I was, say, um, uh, was saying that um, there are so many people who have no inspiration in their life. They just do every day work, they care for their homes, gardens, but have not much inspiration or joy. But if we generate bodhicitta, bring in joy, the people will feel inspired um, by our joy, our goodness. We are more kind and that will attract them towards us. We can do this in small ways, like cleaning up for somebody, doing their chores, cooking, helping in whatever way possible. Another cause is making requests for the inspiration of the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas to generate bodhicitta. And she said that's really, really very helpful. Because when we make requests, um, to make sincere requests, we have to really mean it. We have to mean what we are saying, and when we mean what we are saying, we re already, we are on, already on the way to producing what we are requesting. So, and then another important cause for generating bodhicitta is to have renunciation and the aspiration for liberation. So she's saying, um, but we as, uh, as Mahayana practitioners, uh, we don't just wish that for ourselves um, to get out of samsara, to leave dukkha behind. Um, we try and steer our mind instantly to the aspiration for everybody to be free of cyclic existence. And then... Um, uh, another cause is understanding emptiness. So why is that a cause for cultivating bodhicitta? It produces a lot of merit to meditate on emptiness. It produces a lot of merit to meditate upon emptiness. We see the sufferings. We see the sufferings. We can actually accomplish the welfare of others unless we accomplish our own welfare. Uh, we we can't accomplish the welfare of others unless we have accomplished our own welfare. Yes. Which we do by realizing emptiness. Yes. Yeah, you say it right. Then we can um, more easily see how sentient beings suffer because their ignorance and um, because of their ignorance. And secondly, we can see that there is a way out of uh, sentient beings suffering because if they were able to realize emptiness, then they could remove their ignorance and their afflictions, and so that caused them rebirth. And so on, that caused them rebirth. So, and then the last um, is, in general, um, we think uh, others' happiness depends on me. How is that to be understood? It's a great resolve to say that I will. It's a great resolve. I will um, mm -hmm. eliminate the suffering of sentient beings, even if I have to do it myself. Yeah, it's a alone. great resolve, wanting to eliminate other suffering, even if I have to do it myself alone. Mm -hmm. Also, chances are that if we're cultivating our own happiness, chances are it will influence the people around us. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just kind of a practical thing that if we grow our own happiness and kindness, the people around us will be affected in a positive way. And since we want to be in a happy, peaceful place, we're part of the cause for why that happens. So it's kind of a, um, bring happiness to them by being happy ourselves. Right, exactly. Yeah, perfect. So, um, kind of to finish that up, Venema um, Schütteren is sharing a bit about um, how to put conventional and ultimate bodhicitta together. One of her teachers said, Bodhisattvas totally accept suffering and the responsibility to eliminate it. So she continues, um, Bodhisattvas accept whatever suffering arises and they take on the responsibility to do something about it, to remove the suffering. So how can suffering be removed? Stop creating the causes. Stop creating the causes. 
Jeg er for godt vejr, eller hvad? Ja, det er sådan. Ja. So by meditating on emptiness, um, so there you have conventional bodhicitta, we accept suffering that exists, we take on others' suffering and give them happiness. And on the ultimate level, we are refuting suffering by seeing it as empty of inherent existent. existence. She's saying, when we meditate on emptiness and we see these things arise dependently, that they are mutually dependent, that they depend on being conceived and designated by mind, that they depend on causes and conditions that loosens up our feeling about dukkha, so it enables us to accept it more easily. So if a bodhisattva practices these two bodhicittas that have um, two characteristics, one is out of compassion, um, they direct their minds to sentient beings, and um, out of wisdom they direct their minds to awakening. So here again, the two wings of a bird, wisdom and compassion. So what is it that makes us to want to attain awakening? <laughs> it's compassion for sentient beings. <laughs> what is it that gives us the ability to attain awakening? Wisdom realizing emptiness. Yes, wisdom realizing emptiness. And I want to um, quote something from Venomal Shirtan again because it's beautiful. So there's a big difference in our compassion when our compassion is without wisdom and when it's with wisdom. And here we are talking specifically about the wisdom realizing emptiness. Our compassion, yeah. that is not in any way afflicted um, with the wisdom realizing emptiness. It could make the bodies that will always think of others and work for them. But this compassion is still very much at the level of aspiration and wanting to free others from suffering. But when the compassion is joined with wisdom, then you are already in the process of really practicing to eliminate your defilement so that you can work more effectively for the benefit of others. Because when your compassion is conjoined with an understanding of emptiness, then you have not only empathy, but your compassion is combined with knowledge that self-grasping ignorance is what binds sentient beings. And if sentient beings can generate that wisdom realizing emptiness, they can unbind themselves from samsara. So these bodhisattvas freed their own mind from the affliction so that they can then be more effective in helping other sentient beings, other beings to free themselves from afflictions. So then Venomshutan teaches more a little bit about uh, the method um, path to cultivate bodhicitta and its prerequisite equanimity. So seven point um, instruction and equalizing self and others. And she explained briefly how attachment towards friends, aversion towards enemies arises and how that can be overcome. And maybe next Friday this can be reviewed. Any comment? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Due to this merit, may we soon attain the awakened state of Guru Buddha, that we may be able to liberate all sentient beings from their suffering. May the precious body mind not yet mourn, arise and grow. May the born have no decline, but increase forevermore. In this snowy mountain pure land, you're the source of good and happiness. Powerful dancing God, so shamelessly. May you stay until samsara ends. May the Teach us who lead me on the sacred path And all spiritual friends who practice it have long life May I pacify completely all outer inner hindrances Kind such inspiration I pray 
May the lives of the venerable spiritual mentors be stable and their virtuous actions spread in the ten directions. May the light of love's son's teachings dispel in the darkness of the beings in the three worlds always increase. Here Supreme Spiritual Leader, Omniscient King of the Shakyas, Motherly Terror, Supreme Bestower of Longevity and Wisdom, Vast Ocean Assembly of Sources of Refuge, Confucianness, yet now for a nectar of benefit and bliss to flow. With a clear mind of extensive learning gained from following the wondrous tradition of Tukin, the Able One's teachings, you bring clarity to masses of disciples with the light of children, the lamp of the Dharma. May your lotus feet remain unfaltering for a very long time, through your dharmic deeds of hearing, thinking, meditating, and so on. Place those who seek the liberated path in harmony through immaculate discipline. Please lead all beings to liberation with undeclining excellent qualities of scripture and insight and establish them in a glory of eternal bliss. May the deeds of explaining and practicing the Dharma done by groups supporting the teachings and their upholders who spread the view of dependent arising and non-violent actions in the ten directions, and especially at Shavasti Abbey in the West 